Hello, this is William Fink. This is the Christagenia Open Forum. It was a Scottish funeral march. It was a Scottish funeral march for the sixth and eighth day creation theory. That's what it was, because that theory should be dead. It should be excluded from Christian identity altogether. And tonight, with the help of God, I shall try to demonstrate why. Many people in Christian and in Christian Israel identity operate on emotion and often with an agenda rather than simply examining and following the truth of the written word which is consistent from one end of the Bible to the other as they would find if they would simply read it while of course also considering those relatively few verses which are clearly proven to be corrupted or mistranslated people would rather take shortcuts and both believe and profess things which may sound good and which may seem to present simple solutions to problems hard to understand, which do not represent real scholarship. And when that happens, they always run into problems later. Tonight, I plan to go through the entire Genesis scenario once again, as I did on the Euroforum last Thursday. I am tired of people making up stories and trying to call it Christian identity. If it is not Christian in the first place, how could it be Christian identity? And if it's not biblical, it can't be Christian. Paul warned us in Romans where he said that, Indeed, if the truth of Yahweh were increased by my lie for his honor, why then am I still judged as a wrongdoer or a sinner? In other words, if we lie thinking that we are helping God, then why are we still liars? Does Yahweh need the help of liars? Lies discredit Christian identity when they are exposed to rational minds. One cannot lie. One lie can turn a brother or a sister away from a world of truth forever, or at least until the resurrection. Sophistry does not build the kingdom of Yahweh. There is the word of God, and there is the word of fools. Let God be true, and every man a liar. Some people call me arrogant, or even slander me with worse epithets, because I am often assertive and confident in my studies. I will remain so. But I do not claim to know everything. Rather, those of you who know me best know that I am quick to admit when I am wrong, and that I am quick to admit what it is that I do not know. No man can possibly know everything. But a man must build his house on a solid foundation. That when floods of disputation come, his house is not swept away. For those who think that I am not humble, I ask this. What is real humility? A man who is quick to admit it when he was wrong? Or is it a man who conducts himself in an amicable and a soft-spoken manner? but who never admits that he has changed a position or that he has been wrong, even long after he has indeed changed the position. You decide. Indeed, we know that many of our scriptures have been perverted by the devils of this world, and there are problems with the texts, and there are different ancient versions found for some of the verses of the Gospel and the Law and the Prophets. However, if we have no witnesses to the contrary, and no reason to doubt a translation, we must accept the scripture that we have. And when Yahshua Christ himself, or his apostles, put 
an imprimatur on a particular scripture, we had better accept its veracity. I, for one, do not want to be caught denying the word of our master. And we can closely determine those words also since we have many manuscripts of Greek dating very close to those original witnesses of Christ. Joshua Christ put his imprimatur on the extant account of the creation of Adam, expecting us to both read and to believe it when he told us that it was written in the law, where he says, Have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female, recorded in Matthew and in Mark? He was citing a clause found in both Genesis chapters 1 and 5. And only in Genesis chapters 1 and 5, in, in our present scriptures. And they are certainly both talking about the same creation of the same Adamic man, as we shall see here. In Romans chapter 5, the Apostle Paul equates Adam and the Greek word for the term man, Anthropos. And he talks of one Adamic man only, goes from Adam to Moses. In the closing verses of Romans chapter 8, Paul talks about the Adamic creation as one creation opposed to other creations, such as the creation of angels. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul talks about the natural body and the spiritual body. Here we see that the natural Adam, as Paul called him, the first Adam, the father of our race is the one who received the spirit of Yahweh as illustrated in Genesis 2.7. All quotes Genesis 2.7 in 1 Corinthians 15, thereby putting his imprimatur on that account. There was no Adam before this first Adam, and Christ, as Paul says, is the last Adam. I'll discuss that later, but it shows that Christ is the last man directly created by Yahweh. The first Adam was created from the dust of the earth, and the last Adam in the womb of the Virgin Mary, both directly created by Yahweh himself, both called the Son of God in Scripture. The rest of us are mere progeny of the first Adam. Here, once more, is the paper which I presented last Thursday. Today I'll try to slow it down, and, and, and hopefully people will be able to understand my positions clearly. And I will elaborate upon my paper from Thursday to some degree, making some additions and clarifications. This is the last word on the first Adam. That might sound pretentious, but anybody who disputes the things that I have to say in this presentation can dispute with the scripture. This paper, I must say, is partially written, in, I'm sorry, is written as a partial response to Eli James's recently published paper the beast of the field. Yahweh willing, I will respond to other aspects of Eli's very long paper in the near future. The biblical text of Genesis 1-1 through Genesis 2-3 represents an account of the creation of Yahweh God, where the Adamic man is the pinnacle of that creation. This account describes the creation as having taken place over six days which cannot be literal 24-hour days, because there wasn't either a sun or a moon until the fourth day. Therefore, the days must be metaphoric, representing longer periods of time. 
This is very clear in many later scriptures where the same word, the Hebrew word edayin, is used to describe an entire era. On the seventh day, I'm sorry, it may be the Hebrew word yam. I didn't look it up for this presentation. There's two words. On the seventh day, God rested, quote, from all his work which God created and made, unquote. Meaning that he ceased from creating new species. Yahweh is still in that period of rest is evident in scripture. For instance, at Hebrews 4, 5. And this is symbolic of the fact that no new works or species have been created on the part of God since he created the Adamic man in Genesis. Therefore, the seventh day, that day of rest for God from all his work which he created and made, is metaphoric just for a longer period of time or an age, just as the first six days were not literal days as we now use the word. And even now we still sometimes use it as a metaphorically as a longer period of time. I'm going to read Genesis 126 and 127 from the King James Version of the Bible. And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. The word for man, there's a lot of other things that could be discussed here, but we're concentrating on the creation of Adam. The word for man in Genesis 1.26 is the Hebrew word Adam. It's three simple letters. In English, we would call those letters A, D, and M. In Genesis 1.27, the Hebrew word for man is Eth-ha-adam. Eth being a particle that shows that the noun is a particular noun, a particular entity of the type which that noun represents, and ha is the article. So Eth-ha-adam points to a particular Adam. After the creation of the Adamic man, we see that God rested, and Genesis 2-3 ends the great creation account which began at Genesis 1-1. If I were rewriting the chapter and verse divisions, Genesis chapter 2, verse 1, would be what we currently know as Genesis chapter 2, verse 4. Here I will quote Genesis 2-3. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because that in it he had rested from all his work which God created and made. It is thereafter evident that Genesis 2-4 begins another account, introducing the same creation story anew and relating it from a different perspective. But Genesis 2-4 states that, quote, unquote, these are the generations of the heavens and of the earth. We cannot imagine that it is relating an account of the creation of a different heavens and a different earth as that which we saw in the previous chapter. Therefore, we must accept this as a different account of the same creation. I will quote Genesis 2, verses 4 and 5. These are the generations of the heavens and of the earth when they were created in the day that Yahweh God made the earth and the heavens. 
in the day, in the same age. And every plant of the field before it was in the earth, and every herb of the field before it grew. For Yahweh God had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was not a man, and the Hebrew word is Adam, who tilled the ground. You see in Genesis 2.5 that there was not a man to till the ground. Hebrew term is the same term that we see in Genesis 1.26 A.D.M. Exactly as it appears in Genesis 1.26. By this we have another clear indication that this is indeed a separate account of the same creation which is also related in Genesis 1.1 through Genesis 2.3. It is indeed the same creation which is being described and not some imaginary second creation. If there is only one heavens and one earth, then there is only one Adamic man. There are some sophists who like to point out that in the Septuagint, Greek translation of the Hebrew, the words for man at both Genesis 1.26 and Genesis 1.27 are anthropos, where the word Adam as a proper name does not appear in the Greek until Genesis 2.7. And so, and, and that's correct, technically. And so the Genesis 2.7 Adam must be different from the Anthropos of Genesis chapter 1. The error of this assertion is twofold. First, there is the fact that Adam is equated to Anthropos throughout the entire rest of the Bible, the New Testament and the Old Testament as we uh, just discussed of Paul in Romans chapter 5. Secondly, the Adam described in Genesis 2-7 is created as a direct response to the notice of Genesis chapter 2 verse 5 that there was no man to till the ground. The word being Anthropos again. And if there was no Anthropos or Adam in Hebrew to till the ground, then, just as in the previous verses of this chapter, we are still merely retelling the Genesis 1 account. We are expounding on it, but not yet adding to it. Genesis 2-7 retells exactly what we had read in the first account at Genesis 1 verse 27. And I will read it. And Yahweh God formed man of the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Hebrew term, the Adam of Genesis 1.26 is Adam by itself. In his recent Beast of the Field paper, Eli James has quoted T.A. Davies, who in his 19th century work entitled Genesis Disclosed, has attempted to prove that there were two separate creations of Adam. But Davies' work is based upon a lie. A lie by omission. Since he based it upon the form of the word for Adam, which is found in Genesis 1.26, while apparently ignoring the form of the word as it is found in Genesis 1.27. The Hebrew term for Adam at Genesis 1.27 is Eth Ha Adam, which, as I've explained, signifies a particular Adam, just as it also appears here at Genesis 2-7. On November 17, 2010, I told Eli James about this, where in a brief and pointed critique of his Beast of the Field paper, which he requested from me before publishing it, I had written to him the following, quote, 
Davies lied by omission, and therefore his entire paper is based upon a false premise. While Genesis 1.26 has only Adam, the Hebrew phrase, Etha Adam, does appear in Genesis 1.27. I have told you over and over again that the man of Genesis 1.26-28 and the man of Genesis 2.7 were the same I meant it. Your final attempt to distinguish them fails utterly. I pray that it is your final attempt. I would urge you to reconsider this position. That Eli chose to follow Davies in Davies' lie and ignore the evidence I sent him, apparently because Davies' book fits very well with Eli's agenda, but that does not make it true. Now, I have explained this to Eli on many occasions, even on our programs together, and Eli has never once told me that I was wrong, so far as I can remember, yet now he he has chosen to ignore all of my appeals. That is what I wrote on Thursday, and since then... I have learned that Eli, and Eli has later admitted to me that he had never read my reply at all, even though I asked him on the phone to read it before publishing his paper. So I I regret that Eli did not read my message to him. I have to repeat it here because Eli mentioned my name in that paper. So he's forced my hand to do this. He's forced my hand to explain this. At 1 Corinthians, verse 15, I'm sorry, chapter 15, verse 45. Paul of Tarsus says, And so it is written, The first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. Now, if the Adam of Genesis 2-7 is the only Adam in Genesis who, quote-unquote, became a living soul, as the text of that passage says, then indeed Paul considered him to be the first man, Adam, as he stated. And there could therefore be no other Adam before Adam. As we have seen in Genesis 2.5, that there was no man, meaning no Adam in Hebrew, to till the ground. And this Adam of Genesis 2.7 was created in response to that observation. Eli's paper insists that there were other Adams, contrary to the scripture. And Eli is wrong, and I pray that he realizes this and and admits it and and changes his paper. I I really do. Notice that the text of Genesis chapter 2 verse 7 is similar to... I'm sorry. Notice that the text of Genesis chapter 2 verse 7 and where it is quoted by Paul. It does not say that the first living soul had come into an atom, as some have tried to twist this statement. And Eli's thesis on Genesis 2-7 is very similar to that assertion. It does not say that the first living soul had come into an atom. It says that the first atom became a living soul. Now discuss 1 Corinthians 15 again later, because I have been questioned on that verse. Creation of man, and and I hope everybody's still listening because this is important to follow this all the way through. The creation of man is related once again in Genesis chapter 5. Let me read Genesis 5 verses 1 and 2 from the King James Version of the Bible. This is the book of the generations of Adam in the day that God created man. In the likeness of God made he him. Male and female he created them, and blessed them, and called their name Adam, in the day 
the same language we see in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, when they were created. The word man, as it appears in 5.1, is in the Hebrew simply A-D-M, Adam, just as it appears in Genesis 1.26 and in Genesis 2.5. The word rendered Adam in the King James Version in these verses as a name in both Genesis 5.1 and Genesis 5.2 is also in the Hebrew simply A-D-M and not as Ha-Adam as it's used as a name in Genesis 2.7. As I will discuss again below, the verb in Genesis 5.1 and Genesis 5.2, which is translated as created, is the same verb which is found in Genesis 1.27, talking about the creation of Adam. The account at Genesis 1.26 and 1.27, Genesis 2.5-7, and at Genesis 5.1-2, are all describing the same creation of the same Adamic man. Considering the logic of the sixth and eighth day creation heretics, and I will call them heretics, man created here in Genesis 5.1 must be related to the Genesis 1 Adam. And he cannot be related, according to their logic, to the Genesis 2 Adam. And I will explain why. This is because the term for both man and Adam is only the Hebrew word Adam. And we do not see the long term as ha-adam, which is a specific term, mentioned here in Genesis chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, as we see it in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. We also see it in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, but the 6th and 8th day creation people conveniently ignore that. The verb here in Genesis chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, is the same verb, created, like it is in Genesis 1, and not formed like it is in Genesis 2. Yet, of course, these are the descendants of Seth. So they must be the descendants of the Genesis 2 Adam. They have to be. Using even their own logic, those who purport that these are two separate creations of Adam do not have a leg to stand on. Arguments both created and formed by sophists. And uh, that pun is intended. There has long been, and I'm still talking about these verbs, right? There has long been a sophistic argument crafted by those who hold the same position which Eli has put forward in his paper, who see the Genesis 1, 26-28 account, and the Genesis 2 account as two creation accounts of two separate creations. And they take advantage of the use of two different verbs which in the King James Version are translated in those passages as created in Genesis chapter 1 and formed in Genesis chapter 2. This argument fails when we compare the use of these words to later scriptures. And we're going to do that really briefly right here. Let me read Genesis 1.27 again. So God created man, Adam, in his own image, and in the image of God created he him. Male and female, he created them. I'll read Genesis 2.7 again. And Yahweh God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. So we see created in Genesis 1 and formed in Genesis 2. In Genesis 5, we see this. 
This is the book of the generations of Adam in the day that God created. Same verb as Genesis 1. Created man. In the likeness of God he made him. Male and female created he them. Same verb as Genesis 1. And blessed them and called their name Adam in the day when they were created. Same verb three times. Same verb as Genesis chapter 1. Verse 26. I'm sorry, verse 27. Genesis 5, 1 and 2 use the same verb to describe the creation of the Adamic race that Genesis 1, 27 does. The verb is bara, Strong's number 1254. By the arguments of the sophists who assert that this use of particular verbs distinguishes something that really can't otherwise be distinguished, Genesis 5, 2 relates the descendants of Seth to the Adam of Genesis 1, 26, who was created, and not to the, Gen- to the Adam of Genesis 2-7, who was formed. The additional observation, that three times it is the simple word Adam that appears here, and not the Eth-Ha-Adam of Genesis 2-7, not on one of these occasions, supports that contention even further. Therefore, with the word-twisting logic of the created versus formed, and the Adam versus Etha Adam sophists. No descendant of Seth could have proceeded from the Adam of Genesis 2-7 who received the Spirit of God. Yet, we see that such a notion in the context of the text of Genesis is absolutely ridiculous. Fortunately, we, if indeed we see this argument in sophistry, can see that these accounts are all describing the creation of one and the same Adam. One and the same Adamic race. Prove this even further. This ridiculous argument over these verbs. In Isaiah chapter 43, verses 1 and 7, this is what we read. But now thus saith Yahweh that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed thee, I have called thee by thy name, thou art mine, even every one that is called by my name, for I have created him for my glory, I have formed him, I have made him. Those are the same words, created and formed, that we see in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. With the logic that Eli has used, and all the other sixth and eighth day creation people have used this logic, with the logic that they have used to assert that these two different verbs mean that God created two different atoms, in Genesis chapters 1 and 2, then we must have two different Israels. Because Yahweh created Jacob in Isaiah 43.1, and he formed Israel. It can't be the same by their logic. Their logic fails miserably. The logic they have adapted, if the created Adam and the formed Adam are different beings, then the created Jacob and the formed Israel are also different beings. So the use of this argument fails Eli James, and it fails all of the sixth and eighth day creation people. It fails all of the people who see two separate Adams in Genesis, and it fails them miserably. Sophistry always gets us into trouble down the line. In summary, Genesis 1-1 through Genesis 2-3 is an account of the creation of Yahweh our God, and Adamic man is the pinnacle of that creation. Genesis 2-4 through the end of chapter 4 is 
historical, but the account is told as a parable which describes the creation of that same Adamic race once more in greater detail, and it illustrates the causes for the fall of grace of the Adamic race, the fall from grace of the Adamic race, setting the stage for the entire history of our race and for the rest of the Bible. But it is meant to be a moral lesson. It is not meant to be a scientific account. From Genesis 5.1, we see yet another mention of the creation of that same race, and that is where the historical aspect of Scripture begins. This was the end of the original article I presented last Thursday. After I posted this article, I had, as should be expected, many questions both in emails and here at the Christagenia.net chat room. Here I will attempt to answer them. The king of Tyre was in Eden. And the Assyrian was in Eden, in the Garden of God, as seen in Ezekiel chapters 28 and 36. And that's true. However, the Assyrians descended from Asher. That's very clear in Scripture, both in history and in the prophets. It should be without a doubt that the Assyrians descended from Asher. Asher is mentioned in Genesis 10.22. That's when he's born. So there were no Assyrians before Genesis chapter 10, because they descended from Asher. And therefore, the word Eden and the phrase Garden of God, as they appear in several places in Ezekiel, are clearly only a metaphor, the Adamic oikumene, or the world. And they are not to be taken literally in those prophetic chapters. They're a metaphor. Second criticism I had. If in 1 Corinthians 15.45, Christ was the last Adam, and there are Adamic people after Christ, why could there not be Adamic people before Christ? And here's my reply. Adam, the original Adam, our first father, was a direct son of God, as we see in Luke 3.38. And therefore, he was the first Adam. Christ was also a direct son of God, formed in the womb by Yahweh, just like Adam was formed back in Genesis, except that Adam was formed in the dust of the ground, and Christ was formed in the womb of a virgin. So therefore, we had the first Adam being Adam, and we had the last Adam being Christ. That, he only, that they are the first and last Adam directly fathered by Yahweh himself. That is why Christ is the last Adam. The rest of us are mere progeny of the first Adam. Three, and this is a good one. And I hear this all the time. There were trees in the Garden of Eden that Adam could eat. So they must represent other people who were created before Adam. This is the premise of a great deal of Eli's paper. And it's very often repeated. I would reply, please, go back and read Genesis 2, 7 through 9. It is absolutely clear that the trees which were good for food were created after Adam. Adam was created. I will read them, because there's a few other discussions I need to have here tonight. Genesis 2.7 And Yahweh God formed man of the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. Verse 8 And the Lord God and Yahweh God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground made Yahweh God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. 
here, I will further elaborate upon that. It is very obvious that contrary to popular opinion, the Genesis text tells us that Adam was created and then Yahweh planted a garden where he placed Adam. After that, only then did Yahweh make to grow, quote, every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. Now, do not imagine that this could be an immediate occurrence even. The text does not make that view a necessity. Many of us want to imagine that these trees here, that are spoken of in, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 9, many of us want to imagine that these trees are metaphoric trees, and that from here, more of our race were created. Well, I would agree. However, this does not occur until after Yahweh created that first man, Adam. Furthermore, that this process did not occur immediately is seen in the fact that there was still not a creature from which Adam could have taken a wife. Therefore, we cannot imagine, as many people do, that there was yet a creature from which Seth could have taken a wife. If there was not yet a candidate for a wife for Adam, then there was not yet a candidate for a wife for Seth. So we must stop inventing our own scripture. No interpretation of the scripture which follows can, by any means, turn any of what we have just read thus far into a lie. Genesis 2, verses 15 to 16 read, And Yahweh God took the man, and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. Now we see that this is a repeat because Yahweh already put Adam in the garden in Genesis 2.8. I don't have a problem with the scripture reinforcing something. 16. And Yahweh God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. Yet we have seen in Genesis 2.8-9 that the man existed before any tree which was in this manner good for food, if we assert that the trees here are people, and we could find a suitable wife for Seth among these trees, then we would have already seen a suitable wife for Adam among these trees. And it is clear that there are not yet any other Adamic people because Adam is still alone. Genesis 2.18 says... And Yahweh God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helpmeet for him. Yahweh has told us explicitly that he created a wife for Adam. Therefore, we have to accept that somehow he also supplied a suitable wife for Seth. And while we are not told anywhere who that wife was, we must accept that she must have been acceptable to Yahweh by the same standards which we see here for Adam. Our own sophistry and disputation does not give us license to pervert the scripture and to make up stories about pre-Adamic Adamites, even veiled stories about pre-Adamic white people. They are either our kind or they are not. You cannot have it both ways. If they are not Adam, then they are not our kind, and the record of their creation is not found in Genesis. These chapters of Genesis are a moral lesson, which I may assert only the children of Israel can possibly understand in the first place. These chapters of Genesis are a moral lesson, which includes an account of the creation told in parables. But they are not intended 
to be a scientific record of that creation or of any and all things which may have existed before Adam. Any attempt to twist the scriptures into some worldview or other which was inspired by Jewish-influenced so-called scientific findings fails miserably. Stop twisting Genesis into Judaism. Greek language proves that Adam was white. Next position of the origin of the word Anthropos. Bedell and Scott assert that Anthropos probably comes from the Greek words aner, meaning man, and ops, meaning face. We see that the word ops in words such as cyclops, which means round face, one-eyed creatures of mythology, and ahithiops, or shining face, the Ethiopians of early history. But Liddell and Scott are certainly not sure of this derivation, and they express their uncertainty concerning this derivation. Both Strong and Thayer also have the derivation of Anthropus from Aner and Ops. But Thayer also qualifies it, adding the word perhaps to his definition. I would contest the derivation entirely, especially since Aner is not even given primitive root status by Liddell and Scott, and its genitive and dative forms are Andros and Andri, which, I may conjecture, would give us Andropos and not Anthropos. Yet deriving Anthropos from Aner is the Universalist's dream. It means that the earliest Greeks derided themselves by calling themselves merely man-faced, which makes absolutely no sense at all, either culturally or linguistically. I would assert that there is just as valid a reason, or perhaps an even greater reason, for deriving the word anthropos from the adjective anthropos and ops, rather than from aner and ops which would also explain the presence of the letter theta, T-H. The word anthurus means flowery, from anthus, or flower. The white Adamic race is therefore the only race upon the earth which this word could accurately describe. Now, I must say that I don't have any academic, any academic corroboration for this. It is only a theory. And I actually have to attribute it to another Greek student, who was, whose name is Isaiah Enault, former proofreader of Clifton's, and it is certainly not refuted by Greek or by any other ancient writings. If it ever it is, I will retract it happily. However, the derivation of Anthropus from Antheris is at least as valid or more valid linguistically than its derivation as listed by the Greek lexicons. And even if it's found to be invalid, that does not change the equation that Anthropus only properly describes the Adamic man in the Bible as Paul equates them in Romans chapter 5. In closing, I challenge all of Christian Israel identity. You claim that you know the scriptures. The scriptures are the record of the founding of our race and the promise of the destiny of our race, the white Adamic race, and only the white Adamic race. You will not find the creation of the other races in the Bible. And there is a reason for that. 
and you think that you have to explain things, either to or about the other races, you have already failed. Because the Bible is a book only for the Adamic race, and Yahweh your father will not recognize a bastard, so why are you trying to do so? Whether there were original hominid beasts in the creation through Genesis 1.25 or not, might be debatable. I say might, because I do not believe that there, that there were, but I cannot definitively prove that there were not. But that does not even matter. I hope to write another paper on this in the near future. However, all of you who make excuses for the other races, what you are doing is taking the beast from the jungle, dressing him up, and then trying to speak to him, who is an alien and an animal, in your own language, a language which he can never truly understand in the first place, and then you're trying to convince him that he's just a beast. How do you convince your dog that he's only a dog? Instead, you should be building the kingdom of Yahweh and to hell with the beast. Here is my challenge. Many of you have been claiming for years that Adam was placed into a garden where other good trees, pleasant for the eyes and good for food, already existed. And Eli's paper writes that. You have then used this as an excuse to imagine two creations of Adam, or even a pre-Adamic and therefore possibly even a non-white race. Some even use this two creations theory to promote that the Bible includes the non-white races, which it certainly does not. I challenge you, I challenge you all to show me what scripture that came from. I want to see in the Bible where there were good trees before Adam was created. You won't find it anywhere. Scripture says that Adam was created first. Adam was then placed into the garden, and only then did Yahweh our God plant both both plant and cause a pleasant plant which was good to the eyes and good for food to grow. It can all be excused for being ignorant at one time, especially especially myself. We are all still ignorant of many things. From this day forward, sixth and eighth day creation theory is dead. Any notion of pre Adamic Adamites is dead. Any belief the Genesis account describes the creation of any man except the Adamic man is dead. And if anyone hearing my words chooses to remain purposefully ignorant, you no longer have an excuse. You are following some strange gospel and you have the curse of Paul upon your heads. Thank you. If anybody has any questions, I will be glad to field them. If anybody wishes to speak, you can um, right-click on your name and I will turn your microphone on. I believe that Victor and Matt can also turn microphones on if they desire to. I see I'm on. Hello, Municher. How you doing? Uh, I listened, and uh, I'm going to have to read it again to make sure I got it right. Well, the notes will be posted with the program. Yeah. I know I tried to take my time, and, and I just sped up as I went along, I think. I, I probably um, could have slowed it down more. We can't go too slow because we can always – That's we have to just listen and – Think fast, you know. But it's nice to have the text and to kind of study it over. Um, well, Mark asked me how on how Compare got off track on the sixth and eighth day creation in Mark. I wish I could answer that. I really do. Compare, I have a ton of respect for the man. Mm-hmm. But we all make mistakes. We all make mistakes. I, I don't. I'm probably off track on things. I, I don't know about yet. That, that's the way life is. Well, when when uh, I pray to God that I can find my own mistakes. And, and then I consider myself blessed. 
You know. But um, well, when, when then, then you avoid a ton of embarrassment, right? Well, well, um, we we all screw up, and and Compare got. Now, I think that they had to find an excuse for the creation of the other races. That, that's what I think, and that was the one they used as their excuse. It's extremely dangerous. It's extremely dangerous because it always opens that door to universalism, and we can't. We, that's a door we have to slam shut. Where are the other races in the in the scripture? They're called okay. beasts of the field. Just because they're called beasts, and I'm going to write on this topic soon, the next few weeks, just because they're called beasts doesn't mean that they're part of the beast creation. The word beast, as it's later used in Scripture, of non-Adamic people is a pejorative. It's like calling a Negro an animal. One of the difficulties that I find, with, uh, like some people will say, well, Yahweh did not make the Negro race. But the problem is, how did they come about? If if Yahweh made everything and not every anything was made except was made by Him, then how did they come about? Well, well, there's only one explanation that I know that has any sense at all, and that's in the Book of Enoch, and and it's only alluded to. It's never really explained. And and in the Book of Enoch, it says that the fallen angels went and mixed their kind with every well, mixed their seed with every kind. Now, when they mixed their seed with white people, they created giants. But that doesn't mean they created giants when they mixed their seed with any other type of animal or, or any other type of creation. And it doesn't have to be a conjugal union that's being described. It's just things that we aren't told. However, it's extremely clear, as I've said, that even if there was an a hominid beast in the original creation of God, none of these other races today can claim to be that hominid beast. And none of them match the archaeological record. Does the word kind originate in kin? Yes. As in relative? Yes, it's the same word. So when they when they uh, mixed with their kind, in other words, they, they must have been... They mixed, their, they mixed their seed with every kind, it says in Enoch. Yahweh, right. But every rel- everything relative to them, not necessarily uh, cats and dogs. No, not relative to them. Not not like their kind, meaning every kind of Yahweh's creation. That's that's, I think the the ultimate foundation to this is that the uh, the these fallen angels, well, the messengers have more. Um, they had more power over Yahweh's creation than we do, and they took advantage of that and and started mutating, hybridizing, bastardizing all of Yahweh's creations. It's That's real why simple. He created us. It's a real simple view if you listen. If you only believe the New Testament, right? John says in one John chapter four. And I'm going to write on this next. It might take me a few weeks to get going. In 1 John chapter 4, it says that, that there are people that come from the world, but we are the children of God. Yeah. There are people created by God, and there are people created by the world. Now, Christ says, Every plant that my heavenly Father did not plant shall be rooted up. Rooted out. Everywhere you look in the New Testament, either in Paul, where we have sons or bastards, or in Matthew, where we have goats or sheep, Matthew 25. Or in Matthew 13, where we have wheat or tares. We have only two races. And that's, I know the technical designations say that there's many races of people in the world. Not in God's eyes. In God's eyes, there are two races. You're a son or a bastard. 
You're a wheat or you're a tear. You're a sheep or you're a goat. You're a child of Yahweh or you've been created by the society in sin. Hmm. So there's only two races, sheep and goats. That's the way it is. Right, it's the pure race of Yahweh or the, yeah, the hybrids that have come from everything right. else. Yeah. And I view all the other races as hybrids, according to Scripture. Hmm. I think it would irritate the, uh, some of the races when, when uh, some of <laughs> us come along and say, well, God did not create the Negro. God did not create the Hispanic. And uh, even if we're right, it certainly would irritate someone, you know. There must be some way of kind of <laughs> including them in this divine creation, but they're just not chosen quite like we are. Well, that's what they keep trying to do, and that is wrong. That's universalism. If you want to see, in, in the Bible it says there are people from the society, people created by the society, 1 John chapter 4, and people who come from John words it like this: There were people from of the society, and they were, and you are the children of God. Now, if you want to look at the Bible and and go back to Genesis, the only explicitly created people in Genesis is Adam, and Adam was the son of God, and his descendants are the children of God. So, if you're not Adam, don't matter. That should be our attitude. That should be our only attitude, and we should only care about Adam. Period. And out of the Adamites, the white race, we should only care about Christians. People who... 0.9% world population. That's all we are. 0.9%? Yeah, about 9%. All these, vain, all these arguments about the other races are vain. They don't build the kingdom. Well, not only that, it doesn't matter. I mean, you know, it's, it, when we uh, we when we worry about them, man, they're doing just fine. We're only nine percent. They're the other ninety-one percent. What? I mean, wow. Good thing democracy doesn't rule in this one, huh? Well, that, that's why they're shoving them all in to to destroy us, breed us out. In that movie, uh, I think it was uh, Braveheart. They said, "Well, w we got to breed out the Scottish." Well, yeah, uh, yeah. that general mm -hmm. thing is to breed out. To the general Adamic people. To miscegenate them out, in other words. Yeah, out of existence. And, and uh, you know, I told one of those uh, folks once, I said, if you get rid of us, you won't have any place to hide. Yeah. I told yeah. Them. yeah. When we go, they go. They just don't know it. Yeah. Like uh, Victor was saying one time about my idea that uh, the white race is dying out so fast that but before the end of the century, there will be no white people left, and all the technology, almost all of it, that we enjoy today, whether it's from automobiles, airplanes, uh, uh, CDs, uh, the Internet, everything is created essentially by the white mind. Oh, sure. And when the white mind is gone, they'll be able to run this stuff only for so long, and then it yep. will start to fall apart, and they can't make the machine that made the part that makes the machine that makes the part to go it out and put it into that right. machine and make it run. So everything, by the time the end of the century, it will just come to a crashing stop. It'll sort of dissipate. Okay. And it goes back into the darkest age mankind has never even known. Because usually knowledge is slowly acquired, but here it's going to drop out in less than 50 or 75 years. And there, it's, there will be no electric power. There will be no automobiles, gasoline, no food in the stores. Totally gone. And, and, and it's disaster for humanity if the white Israelite race has disappeared off the face of the planet. So and, the history uh, 
And so uh, Victor said, well, in other words, uh, I don't remember his words, but I think something about a petard, that I'm using uh, their own petard. And a petard is like an explosive device, effectively. You know? And I said, yeah, in other words, if they blow us up, they're blowing themselves up. Mm-hmm. So really what they ought to do is be somehow convinced that we are really dying out. And I've proven this statistically, which means nothing in the spiritual sense, but in the material, worldly sense, we are dying out five or six white people for every one that's born. Now, the Negroes are born, birthing birthing in five or six blacks, the Negroes, for every one that dies. And the Hispanics, seven or eight for every one Hispanic. And the Muslims... Eight to nine for every one Muslim that dies. So it's burgeoning. It's, we're yeah, shrinking, uh, and they're burgeoning. Yeah, so if they want to live a happy life, they're going to have to figure out that if they want to live a happy life, they're going to make sure that we are at one with our God, that we are not out there committing sins and getting slapped down by our God and removed from the earth, that they want to be happy. They're going to make sure that we survive. Otherwise, they're done for. You know, the question I always want to ask uh, people uh, ask white people, can you out, say out loud, I love white people? If you can't, you're a racist. In other words, you're a race, worst kind of racist. Yeah. You're, yeah. you know, I mean, if you can't say, I love white people, then you're a racist. But if you say you love white people, you're a racist. Well, yeah, but I, I, that's that a good thing. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I know, know that. But, but the rest of the world thinks it's terrible that you go out there and say, well, it's okay to be white. I did that one time. We had a mm-hmm. meeting. Over here, well, com- community conversations. Sure? And I Are said, you sure it's okay? Well, i tell you. <laughs> so I got up there, and there's a big crowd of people, you know, and, and there's get this Negro woman up there doing the moderating. And she's kind of making us feel bad that we have such plenty, you know, that we had their homes and, and, and stuff like that, you know. And, and finally I got up there, and I said, you know, it's okay to be white. You know, and I just hammered on this idea that we've come up with the most intelligent civilization in all of history of mankind. It's because of us, not because well, of the Negroes, not yeah. because of the Hispanics or anybody else. Us. Well, the Hispanics are white, breed. What's that? The Hispanics are not a really a race. Yeah. They're a breed. Uh, they're you know they're Indian, yeah. black, uh, <coughs> Jew. Uh, a mixture. Uh, yeah, real <coughs> mixture. Real mixture. Hmm. Yeah. But they they consider it a race, you know. But, yeah, they, but do. they call it I used to live in I lived in Southern California for a long time, and I know the Hispanics moderately well. And they have such a wide range of skin color and facial features that it's just amazing. I mean, there's, yeah. there's dark, from from white to practically yeah. black, and from from almost <laughs> Caucasian features to down to the Negro, yeah. Negro features. So yeah, they're right. not really a race because there's not there's no consistency yeah. among. I was in Cancun. The, the little Indian people down there really short. They were like um, all about, I don't know, uh, you know, like five feet tall or four foot eight. I mean, they're all real little people uh, that live down there uh, around the, the pyramids. Little, oh, little Yucatan? Yeah, they're real little people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're all, those are completely the wrong people that were there at the time those, uh, those pyramids and the other things were built. Well, they claim a white man, yeah, uh, some say that there was a white race that went up into the hills to try to save themselves and that they were the actual builders originally. Olmecs, the Olmecs, I believe they were. Was that was? Yeah. Yeah, they were the descendants of the, uh, of the ancestors, rather, of the Mayan. And the Aztecs, 
I kind of proved, I haven't finished it, I should, that the Aztecs apparently were from Canaan. They were the Canaanites coming over into the New World here, or what we call the New World. And they were the ones, mm-hmm. that they, they, their, their entire history, that I've gathered it up, is exactly what the Jews do. It's perfect. I mean, the Aztecs tried to be Mayan. In fact, they out Maya the Mayans. They just adopted the Mayan culture, the language, the clothes, the religions, and all this stuff, trying to be different. They even bought up all the books of history around there, and gathered them and destroyed it. And they wrote their own history so that everybody thinks that the Aztecs were really the big boys when they weren't just a bunch of fakers, is all they were. So I really oh. have to finish that and put that up. Interesting. But, but the Olmecs were the original. They came in, and all of a sudden, there was a burst of knowledge in in this, in the uh, Central America and in um, yeah, south didn't of they, Mexico. Didn't they say when they saw the Spanish, they thought that Quetzalcoatl had returned, the gods had returned. Mm, yeah, yeah, because it was in their in their little mythical prophecies. Yeah. yeah, and that's why they didn't do anything to stop these guys like Cortez to come in. They thought yeah, this was th- God. Yeah. Well, in a way, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> the problem is that the Spanish didn't quite have the, he didn't quite have Yahweh figured out. No. no. <laughs> well, well, I would like to make sure before we get off on all these other different topics that yeah. Um, yeah. That, that all the questions are answered. If anybody has any questions. Mm-hmm. Well, that thing okay. that you straightened up about the uh, about the trees that were um, good to eat. I mean, that phrase "good to eat," because you know my mind went right away. About the you know the the bad figs and the good figs, there were those that were good to eat, and that's also a idiom, a Hebrew idiom to have sex. Is a, a tree good to eat? Well, and, right, uh, and and they like to say that that proves that there were trees in the garden before Adam, but it's very clear in the scripture that what we can accept that that is a, a story about the the good race of people that's being created, but we can't take it back before Adam because the scripture don't allow it. Gotcha. Well, I, it really straightened up. That always bothered me uh, for a long, long time. And it's pure logic that if there's no, um, if there's no wife, for, if we, you know, these same people that purport this theory say that that's where Seth's wife came from. Well, then why didn't Adam's wife come from there? Yeah. Yeah. If there's no yeah. viable wife for Adam, then, then there's no that's viable wife for Seth. Wife for Seth. That's a good point. Yeah. So they're dead. Huh? I mean, we're, no matter how you look at it, this sixth and eighth day creation theory does not work, and it's not scriptural. Period. Yeah. Well, they, they would also uh, line up to to the you know this is the book of the generations of Adam. It's uh, this all that book is about is Adam, the the race of Adam, and all the the greater Adam uh, creation. Absolutely. Well, pre pre Adam creation never made sense to me. Um, but one of the things that that uh, always kind of pointed to for me was, you know, there could certainly be a door open for uh, other Adamites to have been created after Adam. Now, obviously, there's no true scriptural support of that, but there is nothing in the scripture that denies that, but there's plenty there that refutes the idea of pre-Adamites. Well, exactly. The only true scriptural support for the creation of more Adamites after Adam is they like to point to the male and female he created them. And and I'll say I have no problem with that. And and they like to say, well, where did South get a wife from? 
because it couldn't break the law about incest. And I have no problem with that. If you want to interpret that, that where it says that this tree was made to grow in the garden by Yahweh, and it was the tree that was good, pleasant to the eyes, and good for food, I have no problem with that. Maybe Yahweh created a, a wife for Seth and didn't tell us. I have no problem with that. But that tree did not exist until Adam was created and put into the garden, which means that there's only one creation of Adamic man. Yeah. yeah. There's no Adam before Adam. There's no pre-Adamic white people. There's no pre-Adamic Adam. If there were white people on this planet that were before Adam, it's only for one reason only, and this is the only valid scriptural reason. They were fallen angels. Yeah. It's the only but, valid scriptural you know, reason. The, the idea of the, these, the other races, um, whether or not they were created by Yahweh, it seems... Obviously, through archaeology, uh, we know that the the black race has existed for well over 200,000 years. The the Mongoloids have been around for well over 60,000 years, but they have produced absolutely nothing. They have not produced any evidence of anything that exhibited the spirit of Yahweh within these quote-unquote people. And if they were creations of Yahweh... Wouldn't they have been included in the Garden of Eden? Well, well, exactly. They would have been included in the Garden of Eden account. There's no reason not to not to include China Man if Yahweh created China Man. Yeah, short yeah, brown yeah. squat monsters if Yahweh created short brown squat monsters that could learn how to speak Mexican. You believe it too? Basically, you see, there was this book, right? Uh, this is an but. But this man is an anthropologist, okay, by a guy named Winshell. And it's an excellent book for one reason. It, it's only an excellent, and I got it on Christagenia somewhere. Don't ask me where, because it's a big site, right? It's on there for, just do a search for Winchell, W-I-N-C-H-E-L-L, and you'll see a book that's called Pre-Adamites. And there's only one reason why it's a good book and why I post it. And that's because it shows that in the 19th century, anthropologists had no problem discussing the possibility that the different races of man had different origins. That's why it's a good oh, yeah. book. Okay? But yeah. other than that, the title basically sucks. And I, I, I'm just conjecturing here. It's possible that early Israel identity pastors were taken away by this title, and for that reason, that they they saw this this um yeah you know they got this idea of pre-Adamites and and they insisted on seeing these two creations of man in Genesis to account for those other races, but it's not scriptural. It doesn't fit the language and it doesn't fit the context of the scripture at all. So it might be the fault of 19th century anthropologists, right? But that's worldly wisdom. And when you try to take the Bible and, 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 and twist it into the, the, science, the assertions of the scientists, well, well, that's worldly wisdom. That's the wisdom of man and not the word of God. And that's horrible. That's horrible to do that. But I really think it's probably because they were affected by Winchell and his book, Pre-Adamites. Isn't, isn't Winchell uh, one of those names that are uh, used by the uh, Edomites? I don't know. My name's one of those Walter names Winchell. that are used by the Edomites. Oh, right, true. Walter Winchell. I think his name was Winchell. I'm going to go looking for it right now on my site, right? Walter mm -hmm. Winchell. Yeah, right. Walter Winchell, I heard, was a Jew.
Could he Alexander Winchell. I, I don't know if he's white or black, but he found that the other races were were before the white race and and um and and not related to it. And and that's why it's to show that mainstream academics can have that discussion in just a hundred years ago. It's important yeah. to show that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to put a link to the book on Christogeny in in the chat window. It's actually on my um. It's on my Genesis, my Christogenia overview for Genesis chapter 2 page, about halfway down the page. And I wrote, before godless Jewish ideas absolutely corrupted most of Western academia, there was a time when scholars were not afraid to investigate the origins of the races of men from a more practical point of view. When common sense prevailed, intelligent men never would have bought the notion that all of the world's races developed from a common ancestor, whether that ancestor be a certain Adam or some rabbinical protozoa emerging from a, from a Talmudic primordial ooze. This book, Pre-Adamites, by Alexander Winchell, is a product of those times and is presented here as a record and as a monument to that period of honest academic inquiry which is lost today to the Jewish religions of modernism and pluralism. That's what I wrote when I posted the book. Oh, yeah, okay. And Gerald has an original copy of it. Well, I only have a Google Books PDF or something like that, but that's all right. That, that's all I want. But it's a huge book. But that's might that that might be one possible um, source where early identity writers got this idea about pre-Adamites and having to account for them in Genesis. I'm not saying it's the source, but I have seen the Winchell book quoted quite often by. E. Raymond Capt and other early identity writers. But the theory is wrong, and it's dead. It has to be put away. It's done. I'm done with it. I don't want to hear it anymore. I'm going to post this recording on the front page of Christogenia, along with my notes, and anybody that mentions this theory, I'm going to point to that post. I don't care if it's Eli or whoever, and tell them, go listen to that program, because that 6th and 8th grade creation garbage does not wash. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's totally discredited. Yeah, I'd, I'd rather see effort put into uh, <clears throat> proving the proving uh, it wrong that uh, Yahweh would have created other Adamites after Adam, rather than wasting all this effort trying to prove that they were created before Adam. Well, well right, but the point is that. It don't matter. They weren't created. They're not. They're, they're not mentioned. There's an important reason why they're not mentioned in Genesis chapter one. Yahweh does not recognize bastards. Yeah. Get away from me! I never knew you. Yeah. No. I read the Edomite question. Yahweh and Yahweh and Yahshua and Yahshua answered him nothing. He talked to Pilate, but he never talked to Herod, and Herod was pissed. Yeah, that's right. Why don't we follow the example of our Savior and Creator? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe Clifton wants to say something. Clifton's been writing on this topic for five years, and, and it's very obvious to me that most of the people in identity with an opinion on Genesis chapters 1 and 2 have not read Clifton's writing. <laughs> Otherwise, I, I wouldn't I have to be sitting here doing this tonight. We could be talking about yeah. something else. I did. I did. Tiffy did as well. <laughs> yeah, I'm here. Hello, I just thought you might want to say something about this topic while I'm on it. Well, you know, I think in order to get the, you know, we have to get the entire context 
of the entire Bible, unless we unless we know the entire context of you know of the whole story, uh, we won't understand a lot of this stuff. Christ yeah. very clearly pointed it out. Matthew um, thirteen forty seven through fifty one that there were bad racial kind and that there mm. were good racial kind. Good racial kind was going to be collected into vessels and the bad cra- uh, racial kind was going to be cast away. And when you go back to Genesis 1, there isn't any mention about uh, a creation of a bad racial kind. It only mentions good uh, racial kind. Even the animals, were, you know, were good racial you know, a, a good species of animals. So the Almighty didn't create anything that was bad. So that eliminates the Almighty making these other races. Oh, right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. A, and, and I'm going to include a lot of that in, in my next paper on, on this. My, my next, on, I, I planned on making my reply to Eli in stages so that I didn't have to write one 40-page paper like he did, right? <laughs> this is stage one. It 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 addresses only the creation of Adam. The next stage is stage two, and it's a going to address only the beast of the field. And, and I'm, I'll probably be um, repeating a lot of your work, Clifton, but I, I know you've written on this, and there should be no reason for me to have to. I never planned on it, but I'm going to have to write something. Yes, well, about, it's something that definitely has to be addressed because it's come so close to universalism that we're almost inside the door when we start uh, promoting a six and day day creation. Just like the, it's just like the man that uh, every Saturday gets together uh, around the television, watch the niggers running up the, uh, and down the field, and then wonder what wonders what went wrong. Uh, when his daughter brings a nigger home, yeah, and and yeah. that's what the sixth and eighth day creation does for identity. All you have to do is look at them and say they're good. And right. I, I've never seen a nigger yet that that was good. Nope, not one bit. <laughs> well, about about uh, twenty five minutes ago, um, Sleeping Jews Lie had made a comment. Um, asking what was the difference between Genesis 1.24 and 1.25. And that's where uh, it says, it says, and, and, uh, and Elohim said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind, cattle and creeping things, and beasts of the earth after their kind, and it was so. And Elohim made the beasts of the earth after their kind, and the cattle after their kind, and everything that creeps upon the ground after its kind. And Elohim saw that it was good. Well, well, right. That's the creation of the reiteration of the verse before with the exclamation put on it according to what Clifton was just discussing. Right. In Genesis 1.26, we have the thought. In Genesis 1.27, we have the act. In Genesis 1.24, we have the thought concerning the beast. In Genesis 1.25, we have the act. So that's that. It's the same pattern. Dan King put it uh, real nicely. He said, "All these uh, passages, chapter one, chapter two, five, are all tied together. Uh, you can't uh, cut them apart. They're they're all connected." 
Well, well, right. Dan Gaiman has basically arrived at the same conclusion that I've arrived at, and the same conclusion Clifton's arrived at. And Dan Gaiman has never spoken to me or Clifton on this issue. He arrived at it absolutely independently. And I don't agree with a lot of Dan Gaiman does, but he ev evidently did that right. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Well, yeah. Gaiman did mention uh, about the uh, nepish pay possibility, but he put the big word if, you know, as 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 much as you know that, that uh, he can't prove it one way or the other. So he puts the word in the if there. So uh, and and me like if is not true. But at least he mentioned it. Yeah, he mentioned it because he knows what what the different ones believe. Now Dan Gaiman is far from perfect. Now I could kind of apart on a lot of other things, but he's right on on the uh, creation of, of Adam. Okay. Absolutely. It's only it's all one creation. It's three it's three stories of the same creation because it's probably originally three different scrolls. One scroll with just the creation, another scroll with the temptation, and another scroll with the descendants of Seth. Well, the second chapter is a chronicle. A chronicle is a rehashing of the history, and throughout the chapter of Genesis, I think there's fifteen. I forget just how many there is. There's around 12 or 15 chronicles in the book of Genesis. Right. There's a whole bunch of places where it repeats itself. You don't have to go to the okay. book of first and second <clears throat> chronicles, find chronicles in the Bible. There's a lot of chronicles right in Genesis, and chapter 2 is a chronicle of Genesis 1. Pant, how you doing? Requested talk power, so I turned your microphone on. Uh, I don't know, maybe you just started going crazy clicking or something. <laughs> Has there been any determination on all these writings, like Enoch and whatever, and Genesis and things, um, as of which came first, which which is the oldest, which is a, not necessarily the most reliable, but which is the oldest text, and therefore others may make reference to it, like the in the Old Testament there, it talks about uh, it makes reference to the books, I think of of Enoch, which implies that Enoch was written first. But then again, maybe they updated the Old Testament text in those ancient days to include the Enoch, which is written later, but they came up with like a revised edition of that uh, portion of our Old Testament. Does that make sense? Which, which books are really the oldest? And which one is referring to who as, as their source of information? But, well, you know, Enoch is really a whole bunch of books. It's not one contiguous book. If you study it, you'll find that it's four or five books that are, have been kind of bound together by scribes in, in the century before or after Christ and, and called, you know, and the whole thing was still called Enoch, one Enoch, or, or what we know as one Enoch. Kind of like and, the Bible is now. But, well, right, and, and um, parts that the apostles quote ver almost verbatim are from the first few chapters, from the first dozen or so chapters. If I'm not mistaken, maybe from the first 15 chapters, I could I could probably look in my um, first 15 chapters in Charles's numbering are what Jude quotes from. But there's the the later parts of the Book of Enoch I, I could call call some of them into question. All right, the um, compare Jude 4 to 12 with 1 Enoch chapters 15 and 16. 
That's where Jude quotes from the mud. That's Jude, all of Jude four verses four through twelve are right from there. Ooh, sounds Jude, like it's Jude fourteen compares to one Enoch chapter two, and that's all I could pick out of these notes right now. Hmm. Uh, so it's the it's the There's opening chapters of Enoch that Jude quotes. <clears throat> so so, so te- technically, there's a lot of cross references. Oh yeah, there's a lot of cross references to Enoch and Jude and in two Peter and in, in Peter's epistles and in Paul's. Now is this because it's true? Is it because we we see this text over here and we say that text over there and we just make the association ourselves? No, Jude is abs- at Jude four through twelve just quotes right from Enoch. It's almost verbatim in in, in most of it. Mm-hmm. That can't be a um, a coincidence. Mm-hmm. Well, the testing, I think everybody here researches this, the fact that when we're dealing with these things, we're dealing with English translations, and the English translations probably came from some other language, and that language, the other, came from yet the original, perhaps original, and a lot of these words have been watered down or mistranslated simply because the translator uh, is only as good as his vocabulary of that other language and as well as his own language, and also the idioms and the old sayings and the and the uh, the uh, comments that are made that read one way, but they really mean something another. Like we'll say, "Wow, that's hot. That's really cool." Well, that talks about temperature for a person that doesn't understand what hot means. It means it's really good. Cool means it's really good. These contradictory words mean the same thing in context with the with the with the cultural expression. So, the translator really good is going to have to understand a, a, a culture, and I don't know how a modern translator can understand an ancient culture, but they seem to try. Well, you know, I, I like to think that I do to an extent, but only because I've read a hundred books about that culture, right? I, I mean, you have to go back and read. If you read Josephus, if you read Strabo, if you read Dido, all those books of the of the first and second century BC and and and, and the first century AD, and you'll get a good feel for the culture. But you just can't pick it up and and start translating it. No, I, don't I didn't think even so. know what happened. Well, can okay. people come in to Oh, I, I'm CI. sorry, I forgot that I was online. I was oh, that's okay. the eye, and they do just that. Me. They sit there and they start thinking about what the ancient cultures must have been thinking about or doing, just because they take modern comprehensions and they say, "Well, surely they must have thought about this, or surely they must have done that," and then they write it up as though it's gospel, and people believe them because they speak. With with uh, with very pointed words and you know and, and like some preacher in the pulpit bounding on the Bible and oh this thus saith the Lord and all kind of stuff and others have weak minds or they don't know they believe it. Yeah. <clears throat> oh, we're we're expected to read for ourselves, right? <laughs> I mean, Christ has to, told the Pharisees all the time, search the scriptures. Search the scriptures. Yep. Have you not read in the scriptures? Have you not read in the scriptures? Right. He expected them to have read the scriptures for themselves. Well, that's what we think, but when you get on to the real, quote, Christian world, unquote, or Judeo-Christian world, they're not supposed to read anything. They just read the tracts that are handed out. They read... Um, uh, only the Bible, if they are told to read it, which they usually don't, they listen to the pastor. Pastor tells them, and they believe. They all know John three sixteen. Yeah, yeah. Let's get back to the old days, where uh, the, where the, the the priest 
tells everybody what's going on. And if you want to know, you go to him. And if he doesn't say it, then it ain't true. You just go back to sleep. <laughs> yeah. Was that presentation clear enough, Kent? Uh, yes, it was very good, too. And utterly, I liked it a lot. <clears throat> you know, we, you know the, we individuals reading stuff, we don't get out of it what, what you can. Don't. I don't know why not. <laughs> I don't know. Whatever. But, but thank you for being there yeah. and, and uh, taking care of some of this stuff. Well, thanks. I'm glad you liked it. I hope he likes us around. I, got, I doubt that he will. I don't know. Well, I hope he comes around too. But I mean, it's it's um, he'll have the chance to listen to my presentation, and he'll he'll have the chance to um, look at my notes, right? Because my notes are going to be online with my presentation. I'm upfront about everything, right? Okay. That's the way we have to be. And and he can he can he he told me on the telephone he was going to prove me wrong. Well, well, okay, let's go for it. Let's yeah. go. You know, I got a feeling he's not even going to do anything. Well, you know, because he mentioned my name in his paper, and because he cast a vote for me in, in his paper, which does not represent my position, I have to push this issue. And, and he is not going to be allowed to forget about this issue. I am not going to put up with the sixth and eighth day <laughs> bullshit any longer. <laughs> and I'm not trying to be a pope. I'm trying to pay attention to what the Bible is telling us. That's number one. The Bible, the Scripture, is our guide. We can't let anybody else be our When somebody else tries to be our guide, that man is trying to be a pope. Yeah, okay. Right. Do you guys... complete. Go ahead. Right. Hello, folks. This is Bruce. I was going to say the... Uh, the uh, the Satanists, if you want to call them that, or the the Kikes, uh, same thing. Um, they they really attack two areas with the context of the whole scripture, and it's exactly those two. The, the first area is the the unique creation of Yahweh that Yahweh created Adam, and the second one is atta attacking Paul. I, I notice that. I'm sure y'all did too. Well, well, there are two. That, that's the the Paul bashing is my number one, you know, area of expertise, right? That's where I put all my energy, right? Well, well, um, not all of it, but a good deal of it. I, I actually, I, I'm, I'm not lying. I'm, I'm telling the truth. Well, when I sat down to translate the Bible, I never sat down to translate the Bible. I never sat down to translate the New Testament. Never. I sat down to translate Paul in order to defend Paul because I knew what Paul was saying. Hmm. So that was my only intention, and Clifton will tell you, I started with Paul. I translated Paul first. And, and I sent Clifton about, uh, I don't know, about three inches of paper or something. That was my first handwritten Paul translation. And, and that was, I, I, I planned on stopping there. I wasn't trying to keep going. Until a gentleman in um, in Minnesota had sat and typed my whole translation, and and then one day I was bored and I said, "What the hell?" I said, well, "I think I'm going to sit." Everybody picks on Luke because um because Luke was Paul's you know partner, and and I think I'll sit and translate Luke. <laughs> but I never planned on doing a whole whole New Testament by any means.
Oh, so I really pray Eli comes around. I like working with Eli. I, I've enjoyed working with Eli for two years. I think a lot of good things have come out of it. Eli is zealous. He, he can be a, a, a he's a much better listener than I am. I'll tell you that much. He he can be a good listener, but but then sometimes he doesn't. Um, you know, he he refuses to follow what he listens, even when he agrees to it, and and then he just goes off on a tangent. And and I don't know what makes him do that, but uh, I wish he'd he'd um. Uh, just have, trade in just a portion of his zeal for caution. And and that's important because especially with things like the sixth and eighth day thing, you can't support this to anybody. If you go to, yeah, you could go to a guy that, that, that dislikes the other races and that knows something's wrong with the world and, and is Jew aware or Jew wise, as we like to say. You could go to a guy like that and convince him that identity is true, sure. But you can't go to somebody who studied the Bible and, and try to sell him on a sixth and eighth day crap. It's not going to wash, and you're going to end up looking like a lunatic. And, and it's discrediting in the face of better scholarship. It discredits us to do this. And we don't have to do it. We don't have to defend ourselves, and we don't have to account for the other races in Scripture. We just don't have to do it. It's a book about our race written for our race. And, and it's contained, the context is contained in Mesopotamia, which, which wasn't exactly crawling with Africans and Negroes in, in the 30, 30th century B.C. So, so why do we have to lie? Well, why do we have to tell fibs for, for the truth of God? And, and then we, we all end up liars, and, and we discredit ourselves. Not good. No good could ever come out of it. And I'm not going to allow myself to be discredited like that uh, by people running around spreading false doctrines. I can't do it. But at the same time, when we are criticizing them, it has to be in a manner that uh, that they can accept it and look upon their the error of their ways and say, oops. But, well, I started that way. That's yeah. the way I started this. That's the way I started this, November 17th. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because yeah, otherwise they, they, they recoil not so much because they they believe that they're right, but they're just defending themselves. You know, they don't want to admit they're wrong because they're too busy defending themselves. But, well, a man has to admit he's wrong. And that's why I started out this, this, this presentation tonight talking about humility. A lot of people think that I'm an asshole and, and that I'm too assertive. And, and, but I'm quick to admit when I'm wrong. If I made a mistake, I'm the first to admit it. I, I always try to be the first to admit it. Our enemies will tell us the truth, and our friends will. And so what we are... But, well, that's my point. You'd be a nice, humble guy, soft-spoken, everybody loves you, you're friendly, and never admit you're wrong. That's not humility. But if you want to know the truth about yourself, listen to your enemies. I, I think that sense? some of my enemies go way overboard about the truth about me. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're slandering and those who criticize you because it's true. I don't care what people say about me is the bottom line. But real humility is the ability to admit that you're wrong when you yeah. feel that when when you're shown that there's a better way that that's just the way it is that that's just a fact that we all have to go through it at some time or another and if we don't go through it in this life you could bet your ass that you're going to go through it before your maker and it's going to be a lot harder to do then than it is now <laughs> yeah correct that's a danger time when you're for the, the, the big chair. Oh, anything will be known. Yeah, there's no way to escape them. Oh, 
I have to do this. I didn't want to, but my hand was forced. <laughs> yeah. But I'm going to stay on this sixth and eighth day topic. What do you mean? But well, I'm going to keep I'm going to keep bringing it up. I'm going to keep bringing it up, and until I I um, get through to certain people, right? I have to. <laughs> How will you know when you've gotten through to them? Other than they're blatantly saying, Joe, you know, you're totally right. I'm a jerk. I'm sorry. How will you know? But, well, that might be what it boils down to. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how I'm going to know. But but it's going gonna, it's gonna to be evident when it happens. I mean, I'm, I'm not looking for any plaudits. I'm not looking for anything. I'm not looking for an apology. I'm not looking for anything except that, that certain things have to stop being taught as Scripture when it's obvious that they are not Scripture. We're, we're, right. we're, we are we're, we're, we're either in this because we teach Christianity, or we're in this because we're teaching Zechariah Sitchin. And if you're teaching Zechariah Sitchin, <laughs> stop calling yourself a Christian. Yeah. Because that's Sitchinianity or, or Judaism. It, it's not Christianity. As sleeping Jews lie, I'll go to Thunderdome Route too. I, I don't care about that. That don't bother me. <laughs> Uh, no, Mark. Eli believes that Cro-Magnons were created by God in in um, chapter one, in, in Genesis chapter one. That's Eli's position. Who does he who does he say created the man in Genesis chapter one? Yeah, you know, I didn't go there in my presentation because I didn't have to. I only wanted to concentrate on the fact that there's only one creation of the Adamic race. Right. But yeah, you know, a lot of um, Bible clowns do say that. Angels created the man in Genesis chapter 1. But if you go through all the rest of Scripture, like Clifton said, you've got to study the Scripture from one end of the Bible to the other. All the rest of the Bible says that Yahweh is the God that, had, that, that was responsible for the entire Genesis 1 creation. It can't, just because he said, let us make man in our image, doesn't mean that angels did the creating. That's an expression of the divine counsel is the best way to explain that. Perhaps he was speaking to the angels, but he did the creating. It's very clear in the next verse that he is the one that did the creating. Here again, we have that translation where they have to use the word our. You know, uh, this is the translation we have here. And I don't know how far back that the, uh, the, the I don't know what they call it. The well, well, right, but there's, it's a plural, but it's either the, um, that there's two ways to look at it, the divine council or the plural of majesty. And, and Clifton has written on it, and, and I'm not going to expound on it now. It's Clifton's written on it, and it's on its website. He's written on the plural of majesty at length. I can verify Clifton's work from academic Near Eastern inscriptions and, and academic Near Eastern um, texts. Clifton is is telling the truth when he wrote about the plural of majesty. He's not making it up. And and it is a common device that we see in early Mesopotamian writing and writing from the Levant, inscriptions from the Levant. I got most of that from Michael Heiser. Well, right, but I mean, I could open up Pritchard, um, who wrote before Michael Heiser was born, and tell you all about the, the plural of majesty, right? So all that I'm saying, all that's very verifiable. It's it's not. Um, I know that Heiser explained it, and, and he was your primary source for it. But I could open up Eastern Near Tech, Eastern 
Near, I'm sorry, ancient Near Eastern text relating to the Old Testament, Princeton University, 1969, James Pritchard, editor, and show you the plural of majesty in, in Hebrew writings, and it, it's discussed in the footnotes there. Yeah, uh, Michael Heiser, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not familiar with who uh, you are, but Michael Heiser explains how uh, those verbs are translated as us and our, but in, in actually singular. Yes, some of the verbs there are singular. Right. You get that a lot in the English language where they'll say, well, we believe this. Well, the, the speaker is really just speaking about himself, but he uses a plural we. As opposed to some people say, well, one might believe. Well, I do it all the time because I don't want to put I, 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 I all over my website, right? <laughs> There's really nowhere to exp- no no other way to express it, right? Okay. You say our good office, or we can say A or B or X Y Z. It doesn't matter. Okay, folks. I'm going to take a few lost hours of sleep. <laughs> it's quarter to five here. Oh, well, you should be up and you're an astronomer. You should be awake until the sun goes down. You should never be awake during the day. Except when the moon is there, I can't work. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay, Matthew, I'm really happy that you, at least one of our European friends showed up tonight. And I'll wait, bless him. I'll see you on Thursday for the Euro program, right? We're going to do it Thursday. Exactly. That's what I wanted to say as well. Okay, see you on the thir- uh, Thursday, and have a good time and all blessings, folks. Right. Make sure you tell Chris to get this um to get this podcast off my site tomorrow. It'll be right on the front page. Okay. Right. How about I'll do. <laughs> okay. Blessings. Bye-bye. <laughs> bye bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. As you had heard the, my first presentation on this on um the Euro Forum last Thursday. Is that on the uh, um Christian Genius site also? Yeah, of course. All, all my programs are are in the archives, right? Okay. Nobody else has anything to say. Um, so you don't expect a big schism with you and Eli about this, do you? You know, I don't. I don't have expect a schism with Eli. But every time he brings this up, I'm going to mention this this work. That that's the way it is. But I, I don't have a problem yeah, with Eli. I, I would appreciate it if, if he would examine this and 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 um. Change his mind because um, it, I, I don't think he's like, going to be able to refute it. No, he won't. It seems like you tend not to read each other's work. Oh, well, I don't read Eli's work because I'm too busy managing my websites right. and, and producing my own. Yeah, you know, I mean, uh, all, each both of you are busy. I don't walk into those um, into those um, programs cold. I mean, each program takes me four, five, six hours to prepare for the Revelations programs longer than that, right? That's sure. the way it is. Uh, I mean, I hope it sounds like I prepared for it because um, uh, I usually oh, do. Yeah. I could probably do 90% of what I do extemporaneously, but I like to be as prepared as possible. I read all the material ahead of time. I, I create all my notes on paper ahead of Well, not on paper, but on a computer ahead of time. I um, research and I do a ton of stuff. I I check all my citations to make sure I'm right about them. You know that takes time. So that programs program preparation eats up two days of my week. So it's um yeah you know it's you're hard pressed. I don't get enough time to read books. Never mind Eli's stuff. <laughs> no, I I fully understand. But he uh, also tends not to read your stuff. I suppose. 
I, I wish he'd just read Clifton stuff. I mean, wish he'd read my stuff. I wish he'd just read Clifton stuff. Because Clifton's been writing on this sixth and eighth day garbage for five years now, at least. So he hasn't and, read that either? You know, I don't try to duplicate Clifton's efforts, right? You know, if Clifton's written a lot of good two C line papers, so I feel that I don't have to write two C line papers because Clifton's already wrote written. Why should I duplicate Clifton's errors? What, what am I? Yeah, you know, what's the point? Or, or I mean, duplicate Clifton's papers. I have. <laughs> I'm sorry, Clifton. Uh, I have no reason to do that to duplicate Cl Clifton's papers. Clifton's been Clifton's written ten. Papers, ten papers on this first and second Adam, the, the first man Adam, the, the nine covenants with Adam man, the, the, the only true Adam of Genesis 3. Clifton's written ten papers. There's a whole index, a whole section on Clifton's website just for those ten papers. And, and so why should I, I shouldn't even have to do what I'm doing now because I, ha I, prevent, I presented a couple of arguments that are not in Clifton's papers. But 90% of what I just said is in Clifton's papers on this topic. I shouldn't have to do what I'm doing tonight because the things that I've added are, aren't, the things that I've added are only additional. They're only superfluous. Clifton's already proven this 10 times already. I shouldn't have to be doing this. Eli should have read Clifton's papers, or, or at least read enough of them to understand that this Hebrew word Adam, and, and with the F-ha in front of it and, and without it, where it appears in Genesis 1 and 2, that alone should be enough proof to show you that there's only one creation of Adam man, and in all three of these passages, Genesis 1, Genesis 2, Genesis 5, talking about the same thing. That alone. And so I shouldn't have to do this. I hate having to duplicate Clifton's work. I hate having to duplicate my own work. I want to move on to new things and, and new researches and, and not go back and, and retrace my steps. But I'm compelled to do it now. But you can make reference to it by or, or cite it or even link it, though, right? If you get to a certain point, you can say, read such and such of... Good night, Ferlin. I'm sorry, in certain areas, you can you can um, just make a link to uh, the Amizer uh, uh, document and maybe even the page number, and uh, to guide them right to it. And that way, you can they can go there and read it at that time. But you can just keep on going, but still make make all these references. See this, see that, see the other. You know. But well, the point if they haven't read it after all these years, what what makes you think he's going to follow the links and read it now? Well, new people come up. And they don't all know all this stuff. I don't worry about the, uh, about Eli. I'm worried about your writing up to people that are new. Oh yeah. And and you want them to be able to look at that, so they'll have a broader understanding, and you don't have to duplicate it. You just tell them to read. But Ron, if I made an index over every category to Clifton and I have written over over ten years, I'd have a lot of indexes to make, right? <laughs> And in fact, you know something? I do have an index on this. If you go to the Christogenia overview and, and scroll, um, go to Genesis chapter 1 in the Christogenia overview and scroll to the bottom. Okay, I'm sorry. Maybe it's Genesis chapter 2 and scroll to the bottom. Where's we'll see an index of papers discussing Adam. And then you click on that and you get a page. 
Adam was not the first man, Bertrand Compare. Well, well, that should probably be left off there, right? Who is your God, Bertrand Compare? Man and beast, Bertrand Compare. The only true Adam of Genesis 1, 26 and 27, part 1, Clifton Emmerheiser. The only true Adam of Genesis 1, 26 and 27, part 2, Clifton Emmerheiser. Nine covenants with Adam man, Clifton Emmerheiser. And this is an incomplete index, but it um, should be expanded on. So there it is. And Compare's work is... Um, that there's very mixed reviews on it, right? Adam was not the first man, technically, if you want to look at man as a hominid, that is true. He's not the first man on earth, but he is the first and only man created by God. Yeah, Mark says you could find Clifton's Adam work on, on his front page, and you can. The link is right there on his front page. I don't think Eli ever goes to Clifton's website. I don't think he ever goes to my website. Does but look how much he's got other papers, the Adam of the Bible, right there. I, I understand that, Kent, but but um, yeah, you know, time after time on programs, I have told Eli explicitly that the Adam of Genesis chapter one and the Adam of Genesis chapter two are the same, and no, he's never I argued didn't hear with. Hear him disagreeing with you about that? He's never disagreed with me on it, and I bet it's come up twenty times in the last year, thirty times in the last year. And then he puts out a paper that disagrees. Right, and and that really upsets me because he never once disagreed with me about that so that we could yeah. air it out so that I could present the evidence. There before or after Eve showed up? The good trees are there before, be, after Adam and before Eve. It, it's in Genesis 2, 7, 2, 8, and 2, 9. Adam's created, then Yahweh plants the good trees and makes them to grow. Then Eve's created eight verses later, ten verses later. And, and that's my point. So, if, if there's no acceptable wife... Oh, well, right, that's my point. And, and I think that the good trees are the Adamic race, right? But that it, it's the creation of the Adamic race from after Adam's time. Okay, you're confusing me a little bit. But, well, it's the generation of the race through Adam and, and through Eve, right? But, but if I'm not going to argue if somebody wants to imagine that a wife for Seth came some other way than through Adam. I'm not going to argue with it because we are not told explicitly. Really? We're not going to argue with it. But it had to be a wife that was acceptable to Yahweh, just as Eve right. was acceptable to Yahweh as a wife for Adam. Seth's wife had to be acceptable to Yahweh as a wife for Seth. So, so whether you want to... A little bit um, about the trees that you say came between... Adam and Eve, and I believe that's true because that's how it reads. And then Adam was apparently with these trees, and none of those were, were quite right. Well, yeah, you know, it says that Yahweh planted the trees and, and the trees that made them to grow, right? Well, well how long right. does it take a tree to grow? Uh, you know, it, 100 it, years. Well, that's what I'm trying to say, right? That, that doesn't mean that people just popped up. Yeah, you know what I mean? <laughs> right. That doesn't mean people just popped up automatically. So, what are, what are you saying there? But what am I saying? Well, well I'm not going to pretend to know what I'm saying there. That can represent that, that perhaps Yahweh created a wife for Seth, and he just didn't tell us, right? Oh, yeah, right. I'm talking about Adam. But, well, right, but about those trees may have been planted by Yahweh when Adam was put in the garden, but that don't mean that... A wife for him was available from those trees, even if you want to imagine those trees as other Adamic people. It still says Adam was alone. Okay, well, that's the confusing part. It still says Adam was alone. 
So we can't imagine that there's that there's a white race. So what are those good trees then? If Adam was alone. But, well, it's talking about it, it's talking metaphorically, and it's talking like a parable, and and that tree. Yeah, you know, just because Yahweh planted it and made it to grow, that doesn't mean that it started to grow until Seth had children and until the next patriarch. That's that tree. That's the way that could be read. And that's... So, these trees are too young? Well, yeah, yeah, we could have envisioned it that way, yes. <laughs> so, no matter how you want to look at it, we couldn't get a wife for Adam out of those trees. Well, right, that's what I'm trying to understand, uh... She really had to be just like him, I guess. But I, then you're, you're kind of implying that those trees were possibly inferior to Adam or something. No, I'm, I'm not implying that. They could have come from Adam. Criteria, uh, criteria for a wife or an Adamic man has to be bone of my bone. She has to be bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Right. right. In every marriage, it happens since Adam and Eve. Has to be bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Or it's not a from proper marriage. From the same race, in other words. So, yeah. what are those good trees? Can somebody tell me that? Those good trees are just the trees, the family tree that started with Adam and started to grow. Right. You know, one family tree after another. Um, yeah, but Bill said there were trees there before I mean, Eve showed up. Well, well, the trees were plant. The trees are described as being. There, trees are described as being planted before Eve showed up. But maybe Eve is part of that planting, right? Well, that's what I'm. You know, it's it's very metaphorical language. It is. It is, and it's very old. We don't know even how it read originally. Right, but the, the point is that still, the trees are still being planted whenever there's a new family. Of white people. Right. Well, yes, Clifton, but, I mean, keep saying that Adam was alone there. So <laughs> well, well, he was alone. He, there was no help me for him, right? Fine, and we're saying there are trees between, you know, Adam got there and then there came The description trees. of the trees comes between Adam and Eve, yes. That's the way it is. Right. That's the way it's written. But maybe we shouldn't worry about that, the fact that it's... Written that way. But, well, we should. My contention is that a lot of people like to say that those trees were there before Adam. We can't say that. And, and that's right. a major right. argument of these Sixth and Eighth Day people, is that these trees were there before Adam, and we can't say that. They also like to say that that's where Seth got his wife from. And what I would answer that with is the way I answered it. That if Adam couldn't get his wife from those trees, we can't imagine that Seth could. But we can't imagine they were already there by Adam's time to supply a wife for Seth, right? If Adam couldn't get a wife from them, how could how could they they say that they were there before Adam? Right, so you're saying those are not those trees are not quite right, is what you're saying? I don't think you're saying they're. But, well, maybe they were planted, but they weren't ready yet. Maybe maybe, maybe it's a reference to what's about to come. Maybe it's a reference to what is about to come. We're not told exactly. Whatever else it is, Seth had to get a wife that was bone of his bones and flesh of his flesh. Right. And Eli's um, explanation is that Seth had a Cro-Magnon wife, basically. (laughs) A narrowed down one. He says a narrowed down. What is a Cro-Magnon anyway? Well, you know, Cro-Magnon man 
I don't know how many um, remains were found. I, I can't answer that. How many examples of Cro-Magnon man exist that were dug out of the ground, I don't know. But evidently, it was a race of man which died out about 20,000 years ago, they say, or maybe 30, I forget. And, and it, they had a larger cranial capacity than ours, and they had a um, slightly larger body frame than ours, typically. It could have been the giants of Genesis. It, they very well, it, it's very plausible that they could have been the giants of Genesis and that the dating is wrong. That's, that's one plausible explanation. Another plausible explanation is that they could have been fallen angels. When I brought that up to Eli, he told me that I was ridiculous, that that was ridiculous. So that was his answer. <laughs> okay? But they had larger brain capacity than we have and slightly larger, um, slightly larger body frames. I don't know how many examples of them were found, but there are enough examples of them that have been found to, to show that, yeah, you know, their, their basic physiognomy. Okay, and they're kind of like Western people types? Caucasian, you mean? Yes. Um, well, well, it's alleged that they are, yes. We, we don't know their skin color, but we have no... Skin color is just a guess... Nose cartilage and ear cartilage, when they reconstruct these things, they're, they're just guessing. There's a lot of things, you know, they could find old skeletons and, and do these reconstructions and make them look exactly white if they wanted, but skin, hair, and cartilage can never be accurately um, portrayed. But they don't even have to necessarily have been white. It could have been black, who knows? But we don't know their skin color. That their head shape is supposedly similar to ours, but their um, their cranial capacity is larger. Well, I guess I would agree with you. They sound like fallen angel types. But well, that's you know my assertion would be that if if white people were here before Adam, they had to be fallen angels. Period. Right. And Eli told me that that was ridiculous. Okay, Eli, we won't find Adam before Adam. It's just not going to happen. Good point. And Eli's going to prove that wrong, that I'm wrong about that. No, he's not. I'm just repeating what he said to me on a telephone when I spoke to him about yeah, I told I him Thursday, he called me Thursday, and I said, Eli, you know, I'm tearing up your um, your paper on, on the two atoms right now. And he's like, oh, oh, you are? Oh, okay, well, we'll talk about it. And, and I said, well, and, and he asked me a couple of questions, and I gave him the answers, and he said, well, I'm going to prove you wrong. I said, okay. He said, we'll have fun with this. I said, all right, we will. <laughs> oh boy. Okay. Right, eight day woman. Eight day woman, you could turn your mic on. You said you had a question. Yeah, she must be apparently a six and eighth day person. It's her name. But well yeah, you know, she she's an old she she was raised in identity by old time identity pastors who who actually her her father was and, and her um oh. under Bill Gale, right? Okay. I never really knew him but I know the name. How would he find these blacks good to the eyes? Well, I'm sure that she wouldn't even do that. Woman. <laughs> and, and you could tell him that you're eighth day woman because you're going to be here on the eighth day when Christ comes back, right? Not going to come on. And, and that'll work just fine. That'll work to your advantage. <laughs> She's a um, a wonderful young woman. She's in North Carolina. Two kids. Who were the Amalekites? The Amalekites were a branch of the Canaanites. 
it descended from Esau, who, who intermingled with Canaanites. They were actually Edomites, right? But all Edomites are Canaanites by, by race, because Esau took Canaanite wives. The, the descendants of, directly of Amalek, then? Amalek? Well, well yeah. Amalek was a son of, of Esau, and um, mm -hmm. the Amalekites were his progeny. And Yahweh will make so war with them from generation to generation. There is, if, if people want to go out and hunt this down, uh, I've got two different ones. I sent Bill one recently. There is a uh, chart, like big, like two feet by three feet long. Uh, uh, genealogy of Jesus Christ is the ones that I have here. They focus most on Jesus Christ or Yahshua and not on the entire uh, Israelite uh, family. But nonetheless, there's a lot of them in there. And it just shows in small print. Uh, starting from Adam, and it was all the way down through all the people and all the relatives and everything like that, either side of it, all down to where it ends with, with Yahshua. They call it Jesus Christ. Well, well I'm not Pete Peters. I don't bite people's heads off for saying Jesus, right? Yeah. Does? So uh, if they were to get this chart, they could they could see how Amalek comes from, uh, from uh, Esau, and you could see all these names... Uh, Amalek, uh, uh, all, all, of, all the names that you could find on there would be the adversaries of, of uh, Israel in, this, in the Old Testament. And you go over to that chart, you just find your name on there, and you go back up the line and see where they came from. And you get to understand a lot more rapidly how it is that Esau and all those others have caused such a problem. Uh, and, uh, because otherwise, Amalek just sounds like another person. Unless they really studied everything and had everything about there in mind, well, I can't keep everything in mind. So I'll go over to this chart and I'll refresh my memory as to who's who. And some people say who's who and who's Jew. So if you can find one of those, usually in a Bible bookstore, cost you five, six dollars. Maybe you want to get the laminated one so that uh, it doesn't get tore up too easy. But that's really a handy study device. Is these uh, genealogies of Jesus Christ? That's usually the title of it. And, uh, and then you can see where almost everybody that's in the Bible is in this. And it's, and it's well worth the money and well worth sitting there and just staring at it and just looking at names and following it all the way down. You learn a lot about who Amalek, for example, is and where he comes from and who his descendants are also. Bill, did you get that one? I think I sent it to you. I don't remember. It's in a, it was in a tube. Is in a long time. Yeah, I have that somewhere. I, I do have that somewhere. Okay. Okay, yeah. It's on. It's actually on a shelf up behind me. Okay. Don't let it fall down and hit you on the head. <laughs> I don't. I got so much stuff to read and, and look at. And yeah, that's one of the problems that you have there. And it's never really a good time for me to mention this, but I'll mention it because it's always a good time to mention it, which is sort of contradictory. Uh, you've got so much to do there, and yet you've done so much. You know, I never understood what the effort you really put into this uh, uh, until uh, prior to working with you. I'd go to a different website, says, "Oh yeah, there it is," and I'd copy stuff and I'd download stuff and whatever, you know, and I'd read it and like that. But and I never really understood how much effort goes into that website of anybody's website. Until I started looking at yours and thought, well, same thing, that's very nice. But then you were gracious enough to set one up for me. Now I'm having to manage my own website. And I can tell you, if anybody out there wants to get a website, Bill can set you up for it. But it becomes, it's like Churchill, who is a good and a bad guy at the same time. But he said about writing, he says, like websites are the same thing. 
first it's a mistress. You like to toy around and have pleasure with it, you know, putting this stuff up and everything like that. Pretty soon it becomes a burden because it, it, you have to manage it. But after the end, it becomes a tyrant and it demands of you. And I think this is where Bill is right now. His websites are becoming tyrants because they have to be maintained. They have to be constantly updated and added to and something's deleted or, or changed. And it becomes a burden sometimes to have a website. And here Bill has all these websites. There must be dozens of them, you know. And he's got to keep all these in mind and manage them. So every week or so, or every month maybe really, uh, I'll just cut a check or put something in the mail and send it to him, $25 or something like that, to show an expression of gratitude for all the work he's done on his websites. Because working with my own, on my own hands and sweating it out, I can realize how much work Bill has done with all of his websites and everything he does, plus the radio shows and all the study that he has. And I think it would be worthwhile for all of us to send Bill every month some small token of our appreciation for all that he's done for it. Because if it wasn't for him and his work, he wouldn't have it. Now he's getting burdened down with everything, and he needs something to kind of help him pay the bills. Imagine the electric bill over there, if the run all the stuff gets pretty high sometimes. And that takes money. And we, he needs that from us to show gratitude. Otherwise, he goes broke. We can't read his stuff anymore. He goes off the websites, and we're back out there floundering around in the dark. So if there's anybody that wants to really show their gratitude, they could send Bill Fink some, some token of your appreciation. That makes a big difference. I know ten you don't books. want to hear that. But Thanks, Ron. Uh, now I don't have to spam for a year and a half. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you guys get off your ass and write that check. You know, after all. all right. I do. It's okay. Now I feel like a spammer. Oh. Um... Is there anything else on the sixth and eighth day creation stuff that people would like to talk to or bring up or or or, or bring up or whatever? Do we dare? <laughs> but well, right, Mark. We're just not giving all the answers, Mark. You know, it says that Adam was created. Then it says the good trees that were pleasant to the eyes and good for food were planted when Adam was put into the garden, and then Yahweh planted them. And and then it says that it was he was alone. So, so that seems to be confusing if you want to accept those good trees as people. But I think that that, that statement about the good trees is a reference to putting Adam into the garden, that Adam was going to produce a lot of progeny. That Now, if you want to read that as Yahweh creating other people, I don't have a problem with that. But that didn't happen until... Yahweh found that he had to make a wife for Adam because Adam was alone. So you could, if if you had to pick something, if you had to fill that gap in, in in your thinking, you could imagine that possibly there's room there, and there is, that Yahweh created a wife for Seth, and that's a possibility. Or that Seth had a sister, and, and we know that's against the law, as it's given later. Okay? So a lot of people don't want to believe that, and I wouldn't expect them to if they didn't want to believe that. But to me, all that matters is that there was no Adam before Adam, and that Seth's wife had to be acceptable to Yahweh, as Clifton said, flesh of his flesh and bone of his bone. Now, because we don't know exactly doesn't mean that we could go making up our own scripture. 
That's all I ask. We don't become Bible clowns and imagine races of white people running around before Adam because that's not in the Bible. And, and that's actually pretty much anti-scriptural. Just because we don't have all the answers doesn't mean, mean we can start inventing our own Bible. That's when we become Bible clowns. I guess I tend to believe that those other trees really weren't there between Adam and Eve, as far as people trees are concerned. But Well, right. But, but you know, Yahweh, if you plant a tree today, and, and whether it's a metaphoric tree or an idiomatic tree, right? You, you plant it today. You put me in this garden, and, and you plant a tree, and you say, Bill, tend over that tree. And, and then, you know, Genesis 2.18, we come down to Genesis 2.18. Well, well, what if Genesis 2.18 happened later that afternoon? We're not talking, you know, it happened later that afternoon. Well, none, these trees didn't grow. You know what I mean? Adam's alone. <laughs> you see what I mean? When we want to look at it that way, like symbolically, we don't know how long, how much longer after Genesis 2.8, Genesis 2.18 happened. Could have been ten minutes later. We're not told that. So, uh, you know, maybe I forgot this, but do you address in your uh, tonight or at any other time, uh, what it was that Adam was rejecting before Eve came, came along? But what was he rejecting? He doesn't. He he wasn't necessarily rejecting anything. Oh, he I did. Okay. I did not address it. No, I didn't, because it wasn't important to the the my discourse on Adam. Right? I tried to keep on. Right, I tried right. to stay focused on the topic. Right. So. We'll talk about... He wasn't necessarily rejecting anything. No, I could answer this in, in five minutes. Where does it say he was rejecting anything? He said he checked all the animals. Of, yeah, you know, he named all the animals of, of the garden, right? And then it said that he had no helpmate. But, well, it doesn't say that he was looking at those animals as, a, as potential helpmates. If, he, if, if Yahweh was presenting... No one for, as, uh, for helpmate for him. But, well, if Yahweh was presenting to him the beast of the field as a potential helpmate, well, that means Yahweh was trying to see if Adam would race mix. Now, is Yahweh tempting Adam into race mixing? James says Yahweh tempts nobody, that you, our own lusts tempt us, right? Okay. Now, what if Adam, well, what if Adam simply observed that Yahweh created all these animals, male and female? He was just a male. And he didn't have a female. And he said, well, all these animals have a wife, where's mine? What if that was the case? Yeah, that could have been the case. I believe that. And that's just as scriptural as the other viewpoint. But in my version, Yahweh doesn't promote race mixing. Okay? I like that. Yeah, I like that. So just because something's a common perception, that doesn't make it the right perception or the only perception. Yeah, yeah, Adam yeah. saw all these beasts. He saw Mama Bear and Papa Bear, and and he saw Bambi and and Bimbo, and and he said, "Well, where's my woman?" <laughs> Ironically, that's what we were taught way back in um, Lutheran school. You know that there was no woman there at all. But well, that's an alternate view of that verse. I know all the identity people say, "Oh, you see, Yahweh didn't want Adam to race mix. He couldn't find him a wife amongst what." The bears and the lions and the deers and the monkeys? <laughs> I would hope yeah. not, but no. Right. The way I read that, Adam looked at all these animals and said, Wow, they all got women. There's male and female and male and female and male and female. And, hey, Yahweh, where's mine? I want a piece of that 